Welcome to the More Than Music Podcast with your hosts Thibaut Duchesnay and Chris Snellgrove. In each episode, we will discuss what sparked our guests' passion and what continues to motivate them to live a dedicated life to the arts. The often overlooked reality is that genuinely dedicating oneself to one's art is not all about the euphoric moments of creation and expression. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Today's guest is Chris Callahan. Chris Callahan is somewhat of a mythical figure in the hardcore scene. He has fronted some bands that have attained cult-like status such as Cursed, Left for Dead, The Swarm, Burning Love, Ruination, Countdown to Oblivion, and his current project, Sect. He has released records on almost all formats, and I say this because Curse released an eight-track last year. He used to run a record <laughs> label. <laughs> he used to run a record label called High Anxiety. He has had multiple art expedition exhibitions. He has published two books, if I'm not mistaken, Negative Space and No, He Is Not Sleeping, and is a powerful magnet in the cooking world with vegan magic. He has traveled the world playing music, and even though his body has started to rebel and realize how old he is, his brain and heart will never acknowledge it, and he'll always keep moving on. Hence the mythology surrounding Chris Callahan. I'm sure anyone who knows Chris can imagine the eye roll and the humorous vitriol that is about to come out of his mouth over this intro. <laughs> Not vitriol. I was just thinking, could I be like mythological? You know, like a half satyr, half falcon sort of deal? Interesting. <laughs> well, with the advent of technology, you, know? you can be half man, half machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I may have to be half machine sometime very soon, actually. Well, thank you so much for the kind words and thanks so much for having me. This is great. We finally got to it. Yeah, yeah welcome. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. It's been uh, it's been a while that we've been trying to get this together, and it's it's good. We're we're now. I think you're episode seven. I think I don't know. It doesn't matter. We're just, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just happy to have you. I'm happy to see you. Me too, man. It's yeah. We saw each other a bunch over COVID, over the chaos of the last couple of years, and many ups and downs, and mostly downs. But yeah, <laughs> it was nice to see your face when we could. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So let's start <clears throat> with the easy question. Where are you from? I know you moved around a lot as a kid, but where where would you say you're from? Like, where's... I'm actually, I mean, from here, I was born in Toronto um, and I grew up in Hamilton and then I moved back to Toronto when I was uh, about 20. So other than living for a little while in Guelph and Montreal, um, that's really been it. So most most of my life I've been here. Okay. Other than yeah, growing you know, child childhood through the end of like high school and when I moved back away from Hamilton. Okay. Um uh, so you know, I don't know if you've read if you listened to any of the episodes of this show or not, but the idea of this show is just to try and figure out what motivates people to keep doing what they're doing and following their passions and how they kind of try and balance that as best they can with quote-unquote real life yeah so i'm not a really good example of balancing my passions and music and art stuff with real life i just (laughs) kind of fuck over the real life part you know to the end (laughs) just to do the the thing i want which i guess is selfish but if you don't do it that way you know no no one else is gonna do it for you that way and that's that's really the purpose of the show to kind of explore that what you just said like how do you make those decisions in terms of saying, you know, I want to follow my passion. I want to follow this muse. Uh, wow. And the decisions them, you have to I make. make them. Yeah. I usually make them to the detriment of any safety net or uh, good mental health or sleep. <laughs> no, honestly, it is pretty stressful. I guess uh, 
I just kind of like cut the brake lines out somewhere back there, you know, like I knew from the moment I started playing music and being around things like hardcore, that that just like it spoke to me so much that not just something like that, but that exact thing, you know, was just like what I wanted for as long as I could get it. Um, so of course it's a little weird getting older cause it's such a, you know, like a youth oriented thing, but if you never really stopped from the first time around, um, I don't know. I think you just have to have expectations that are not pompous. And I think you have to take every moment for what it is and not what it was before whatever time. Cause you know, it's all just an endless string of current moments and people that there's a lot of turnover, but you're not, you're never like the one person that, you know, provides the context of what the real deal back in the day shit was. And that's, mm. that's always been, that's always been bullshit, I think. Yeah. So it's yeah. always really just 100%. like a bunch of now, a string of nows, you know? So how so, did it all start, Chris? Like, where did you get, you know, where would, you know, some of the things that we like to ask on the show is like definite memories, you know, those moments where you're like, oh, wow. So the first uh-huh. time you heard a record or you heard a music, you're like, oh my God, what is this? And something that kind of, popped in your mind i'm sure you had moments like that i did for sure and this is where growing up in hamilton really came in because that's where i don't know um i didn't like i moved a lot as a kid so i didn't really have the same set of friends i didn't have any siblings or people that usually people get into punk and music through um and my you know my friend group is always changing because i was kind of like yanked picked up and moved across town somewhere and into a new little ecosystem um so I don't know when I, I got into, I loved music as a kid, period. And, and there was a moment, I mean, I'm, I went into high school in 88. So it, I don't know. You guys are, we're all, we're all getting up there. No, but, what uh, are you talking about? I mean, to <laughs> pay. Uh, I was going to say, like, I liked all these different things at the time. Mm. It could have been like Steppenwolf and the Clash and the Exploited all in the same run or the specials. That was just kind of like, at that moment that we were in, you know, growing up around things that that was a little bit of everything, you know, and I liked everything. So I got into punk. And then at some point I, I realized that there was a version of it that was accessible to me in my city. And that was a really small group of people. Um, and it was very lucky and, and random too. I just uh, like a friend of mine that dated a different friend of mine that was like a, a hardcore kid, a straight edge guy. And we turned out to be really good friends for a long time and, and roommates um so yeah I, I went out to a show which was realistically like a battle of the bands it was a uh, apparently the first i've talked to chris logan about this since but i guess it was the first chokehold show i was um, gonna say hamilton the band that comes to mind is chokehold well it was and at that point it was really primitive like they were really everybody was re- like high school um you know but they were hardcore kids and they liked it and they knew you know shit that it just was like if punk was already like really esoteric and, and out there to me then this was like really 10 levels up you know it was so sp- specific and i don't know so opinionated and so vicious and that really spoke to me right out of the gate so i went to a show and just got i can't say i got the shit kicked out of me in the bad way it was like kind of in a good way just got yeah, totally it's just like <clears throat> physically and in and, and mentally and emotionally just got overwhelmed and just smashed over tables and i fucking loved it you know, um, and I had already been playing music with my friends from high school. Um, and yeah, it just kind of like it locked in and it's that's still locked in. <laughs> so that's really it. I mean, that's kind of the goal, right? You play music with your friends and yeah, whatever absolutely. happens, happens for sure. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you a question. When you say you were playing in bands, like were your first bands 
like hardcore bands or was it, you know, you got together with your friends, you did shitty Ramones covers or like. No, we did shitty like ACDC covers in a basement. Uh, <laughs> no, I pretty much went straight into like the first band who played them was like a hardcore punk band. You know, I mean, it was pretty remedial by any other standards of bands that came after that, but we were all really young and I don't know, you're speaking with your frustration. So there's definitely some like overwrought sort of masculinity to it all that before you figure out, you know, that that laying it on that thick isn't really necessary, but the aggressions <laughs> underneath it absolutely have a purpose and, you know, have a source. Oh, dude, so, my, my, my first band with Radwan, you know, we were yeah. our first band together and we were fucking terrible. And Jonah, we were fucking terrible. We were called Which Flaccid. One? Flaccid? Yeah. Like we yeah. toured across Canada. We played with like DOA and Daglo and all these, like we played with Chokehold. Damn, did you? Um, yeah. In like 94. Wow. Um, and, you know, at one point, Jeff from Converge played in the band. Yeah. And, I know Jeff. Yeah. And he, well, he played in Flaccid for a while because I was the first person he met in Montreal. And, you know, it's, it's funny. You, know, you talk about your first bands and Jeff's like, oh, this is my band. And he gave me a copy of Halo in a Haystack. Yeah. And I was like, you're out of our band. I'm just straight <laughs> up embarrassed. It's, it's too good. <laughs> Holy shit. I never heard that from Rab. Rab one never talked about flaccid. What's up with that? No, no we we were we were an embarrassment. Like no, no. You know, Rab one, one wearing like misfits t-shirts and you know listening. That's awesome. Damn. <laughs> but we were kids. It's like funny Jonah, with that. Hmm? Go ahead. I was like, we were kids. Jonah, Jonah, we went on tour in '94, and Jonah turned 15 on that tour when we left. I, man, I think that I love that kind of shit. I, I don't think. I, it's weird when nobody should be self-conscious about like wherever you come into it or whatever's happening at that moment, it's just honest and it's pure, you know, I, all the more so because you don't really know what the fuck you're doing yet, but you're trying to do yeah, something. Totally. That's a, the important part of that. It's funny for with Rab one too, because he's sort of self-conscious. I think about his time with hardcore and that always kind of, I always bust his balls about it because <laughs> he of all people had really good taste in that shit. And his bands yeah. were like the black hand and those things like, Dude, these aren't the kind of ones to be embarrassed about. About no, you know, not at all. I, I don't know if he's embarrassed about them, but uh, yeah, like his his tastes and all that shit were and still are really really good. Yeah, no, we uh, we we've we've talked about this, and he's essentially told me that in print and in reality, his hardcore, like his musical history, only goes as far back as I are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, sure. I don't care, man. Like we were kids. What did we know? I say flaccid reunion. It's not too late. Oh, <laughs> it goes well with the age. For sure. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No <laughs> see Alice. The see Alice tour. Yeah. <laughs> All the frustration of middle age. That's right. <laughs> Damn. No thanks. Hardcore back. <laughs> but yeah, seriously so, Chris but, you know when you were a kid and you got really into this kind of opinionated vicious music and you had all this frustration and like you say it came you know how it was expressed maybe it was a bit remedial but it came from a pure place yeah for when sure you were, when you were a kid what frustrated you like what did you see like what was happening at the time well, you know what? I've been talking to my friends. I'm still friends with all my friends that I played music with then. They're actually my, my best and oldest friends, and we still keep up. But we talk about it sometimes, and uh, I, a lot of it was like, I can't say it was misplaced, but I mean, things kind of come out over time that we were all dealing with and different things at home. I don't know. Hardcore uh, and punk is a really good template. It's a little bit, uh, this, is, this is good stuff 
for a psychologist <laughs> to be picking yeah. apart because really there's there's a lot to it. Um, yeah. My own my own things. And I think they're probably still largely what I run on. is just like a lot of frustration of a world that just isn't fucking fair mm. and just grinds people up and makes them have to be, you know, prove themselves to people that are not worth having to jump through hoops for. Um, mm. And I think that's probably still like, I, I really trust my, my younger instincts more than anything since then, you know, cause those things are before you have a fucking filter and before you're self-conscious and before you have all these perfected tastes and tasteful things. Um, totally. I don't know. I think I just like, I, I grew up without a dad. Um, and the story behind that was kind of harsh, but if, if you listen to all my bands, you probably know half the story, <laughs> but, uh, there was things like that. And I get to be about like 16 and I just dealt with it with, with like drinking a lot. And, um, I know this is also like the powder keg of, you know, like emotion and frustration really fortunately steered me. Um, cause I was in a pretty intolerant place and still is an intolerant kind of place, but you know, your frustrations can really easily be mis misplaced and put in, in the wrong spots. And in that kind of environment, a lot of people's were, um, that mostly grew out of it, but I mean, a lot of like bigoted sort of things came out of there. And I think it's a lot of people going through a lot of what I was, uh, just like, you don't know who you are. It's like identity stuff, you know? And everybody was really like, you have to be something at that age, or you have to explain to the crowd what the fuck you are or why you're not something that they yeah. know about, you know? And I always just thought like, fuck you guys, I'm, I'm going to be what I'm going to be. And I think that it might seem immature to still be holding on to that. But I realized that the, at my heart, I still, I, I deal with some people that are in their twenties as if they're adults and I'm not in my head. <laughs> I don't know if it's just like inferiority yeah. complex, but I think a lot of it is just like, why am I fucking trying to prove myself to people that are just as lost as I am? And they're, you know, maybe put on a better face about it, but they, we all have the same damage yeah. and insecurity. So, Yeah. For sure. But I wonder if, you know, you're talking about at our age, talking to people who are 20 and treating them like adults. I mean, they say hardcore is like Peter Panning to a certain degree. You know what I mean? Because, because you can kind of, if, if you can shirk the modern responsibilities of growing up, um, you know, you can keep playing forever and do whatever, but do you ever get that weird feeling of being the old guy in the room? No, it's, it's been a couple of years now since now it's been like 10 years now since I've been at a show thinking like I could literally be their dad. <laughs> like it's not even a stretch, not even one of those weird time warp things where you would have to be like 13. I'm like, I could have been like 35 <laughs> and this kid would be here. Uh, no, uh, it's been, I don't know. I think it's like a pretty magical, uh, suspension of the normal rules of the world that we run in you know yeah. and i always respect that i could be sitting on uh just sitting on a curb in front of a club talking shit with somebody that's like 16 or somebody that's like 65 and i've done both yeah totally and in in that little bubble of reality it's like we're all just this one thing yeah i think yeah or that's the way i like to look at it you know what i mean like i don't think there's any status i mean people treat things like they have status but it's kind of an illusion so it's easier to not think like that at all yeah, I can I can imagine. Um, on a totally random tangent, speaking of status, like do, and this is just for my own interests because I'm curious. Do people treat you differently because you're in a band with the the guy from Fallout Boy? Um, yes and no. 
like Andy's a, just he's like a hardcore kid, you know, that plays. No, no, in like, the, I, I, I know that, but you know, someone who doesn't know, they're just like, "What's your band?" It's like, "Oh, this is what we sound like," and you play them in this, and they're like, "What the fuck is this?" And they're like, "Oh, but it's the guy drummer who plays in Fall Out Boy as well," and people yeah. will be like, "Oh, I've heard of them." Right. Sometimes <laughs> we definitely we get some people that come to the show because of that. And I mean, Andy's had to deal, you know, metabolize that for a really long time with as much grace as, as he can. And he's really good at it. And he's just sincere and nerdy, normal, hardcore kid guy. Um, but we have people that come out to shows because of that sometimes. And we just treat it like, well, here's a hardcore show. And this is what this is about, you know? Yeah. And so to lots of those kids, that's like a gateway from one thing to another. Yeah. So. Because the reason I was uh, the follow up to that question, the reason I was asking is because, you know, I, I can. I can I get you to introduce you to him? I totally can, man. <laughs> <laughs> Next time we're there, bring the records out. Sweet. If it's not too many. He'll sign a couple of them. Oh my god, that. But really don't make hard. it. But don't make it weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, what I was gonna say, jerk, is that. Um, <laughs> You know, in doing in doing some research on this for this episode, I always do a little bit of research. You know, and and I said it in in my intro, like you are this weird, like mythic cult ish kind of person in the hardcore scene, and it's I no offense, I don't see you as that because I know you. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's just it's I was I was I was kind of shocked at the. The, the fandom of and it, and the weird thing is is it's not even your bands it's almost just you that's weird right yeah i try not to look at that too much or look up i think like i'm a really self-conscious person and i don't really believe in clout or scene cred you know mm-hmm. so uh, here's here's one for the psychologist too but like you know when you when you do a thing and you're still just I, I easily get tripped up by self-consciousness, you know, like I really even play, it's crazy that I'm even do what I do in front of people. Like it's, I, it defies everything else about the rest of my life to stand up and fucking scream opinions at, at a room of people and have to back it up, you know, but over time, I guess people, um, I think it's kind of a disservice when people kind of bounce that at you as what they know it as, and maybe it's involuntary on their part, but um, it, it's like, what are you supposed to do with that? You know, (laughs) how can I have a conversation with someone as a mythic creature? Like, I can't, (laughs) like, there's nothing different that I can do. It only makes you in a weird pedestal that you don't want to be on. So you just kind of have to reject it and keep moving. And it's awkward. I don't know. I'm already awkward enough without that. (laughs) So that's that's for other people to do. Sorry. But it seems like the opposite of what you're saying because you came into hardcore looking for the authentic life. Yeah. Looking yeah. to like and questioning yourself, what is my self identity? Who am I? And right. out of that came this kind of authentic. Yeah, I'm drawn to this. I don't know why, just because maybe of the aggression, the the opinionated yeah. part of it, the the loudness, and it's true. But I think that the um like the ideas and the ethic of the thing that's the part right. that is is matters. And people often that's like right. put that on a person and embody it. You know, like the, the 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 deal isn't the person; it's the thing. You know, it's the ethics. It's yeah, and you know that's what I hear from you is the how important the ethics of this community, of this music, of yeah. this form of communication is to you. Yeah, like it's a feedback loop. You know, like I love the things that I grew up on and still am inspired by, 
and it goes somewhere in my head and my frustrations and it comes back out and somebody hears that and they're in a band and it's like it doesn't stop and start with any one person that's kind of the beauty of it i think yeah totally and hearing you chris and sorry to use the word but it sounds almost spiritual i guess you know yeah it's probably as close as i have to things like that in my life yeah (laughs) like not to be dogmatic it's like specifically anti-dogmatic but it really is like i believe i believe in it like nothing else that's ever been part of my life when i grew up in religion you know really interesting yeah yeah i but i feel the same way as you like you know uh, we're the same age and people like you know you you meet people like you say oh what do you do like well i do this but i also play music and like oh is your band famous do you make money this is you're like no but I mean, I'm going on, I'm going on tour in two weeks to Europe or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And like, Oh, do you make money? It's like, no. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, why do you do it? And it's like, cause it keeps me fucking sane. Yeah. I find it's always coworkers that have always been like, I don't get it. And then yeah, they look totally. it up or something while you're standing there working and like, I don't understand how you were just in Mexico city for the weekend and you don't have any money. Like forget it. It's a long story. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's a high overhead and it's like 30 people in, in uh, all the basements of the whole world. But like, you know, it's wide. it's far and wide, but it's low key somehow at the same time. Yeah, totally. Like, I don't know about you guys, but we, like I started out playing in living rooms to 20 people and somewhere over all that time, it's sort of like, you know, like an insect that's dying and its legs retract into itself. It's like, uh, I don't know if at any point it was ever success is uh, hard to measure or give a fuck about. I don't know, but it's sort of like back to the most grassroots kind of like format, like spec play shows in basements to 40 people. And it's a fucking blast. You just have to fly there <laughs> to do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, 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 I love that. That's like, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I definitely understand. I definitely know. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I didn't mean to get Jeff. No, that's okay. But uh, no, yeah, it's, 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 there's something. And like you said, the coworkers is not, it's something you can't really explain. Yeah. I I mean, you, you can try to explain, but people, a lot of people just don't quite understand. <laughs> yeah. Someone will be like, there's a Wikipedia. It's on a YouTube. Like, it doesn't mean much, man. <laughs> Anybody can stick shit up on, on the internet. It's not, yeah. Yeah, we don't have a MySpace. What? I don't what? You don't? I know. You know what? I was sort of thinking in the last couple of years, I really wanted to go back and get one of those ones that I never had, like Friendster, like one of the totally dead social media ones, but just now, and just get like 15 of your friends on there in the little dark, weird corner of the internet, but they all blinked out. Man, you know, it just, it means you're old, man. Like, it means you're fucking old. That's right. You know? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so just stick to snail mail and calling people. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Time will time will come for you eventually. You can ignore it, but it will catch up. <laughs> or not catch up. It's just like the normal arc of life. Just that you're doing something that people usually do for like four years out of high school for like 30 plus years. You know, this yeah. year is actually 30 years since the first show I played in June. Oh, shit. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, tw- it's 28 yeah, for me. Yeah. Been a long time. Yeah. So yeah. when did ethics become important? You know, you started, you're talking about getting into music and you're drinking and there was a lot of fucked up things going on and, you know, it's a bit chaotic, but then, you know, there's something very ethical about 
what you're doing. When did that start? Um, I don't know if it was conscious consciously that it was ethics so much as it was just like independence is what really got, you know, spoke to me. And mm-hmm. I loved a lot of like things like crass and just like traditional anarchist, really like idea heavy and argumentative things like the dead Kennedys or crass, you know? So where that meant things like chokehold. And I was really fortunate to come into it at a moment. I mean, if I had been in like Syracuse or one of a million cities, it would have been a really different scenario. But luckily for that really small bunch of people, really just a few people in particular that made it that way. It was like different than most of the rest of like hardcore. There was like straight edge or vegan or anarcho, you know? Absolutely. Um, You know, it was anti-religious and it was like not puritanical. It was like wallowing in dirt, sort of scumbag vegan straight edge, if that made any (laughs) sense. I don't know. But I liked that. Although a lot of the kids at the time that were around there really like were an intimidating force. But like, again, they were fucking kids too. So to me, they seemed like this big crowd of people that absolutely knew what they were doing and they didn't. And it didn't take very long and they kind of were, you know, move, moved along. So mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I really was affected by, uh, and I was really lucky that something that was not like in terms of substance abuse, I am really bad with moderation. And uh, to this day, like straight edge, whether you call it that or sobriety, there's people that it's recovery to them, but um, I just am never any better with it than I ever was or never would be. So it's easier for me just to like not do something, you know? Mm-hmm. So realizing that I had the power and the authority within myself to like reorganize what my life and my values were around, you know, what I wanted and didn't want in my head. I, I just cleaned house in like one moment of life, you know, like whether it's booze, religion, meat <laughs> i kind of did it all but i didn't do it on any like hardcore timetable when those kids were like there was nobody there to impress with that and by the time i had done that they were like drunks you know it was <laughs> and that's fine and that's absolutely fine that's the cycle of life and i don't do it for um anybody else so that also taught me that lesson pretty early on you know did you, you, gotta, did you, you do it in one shot I like over the course of like a year, year and a half, it just kind of was like, I don't like that. I'm going to stop doing that. I don't like that. I'm going to stop doing that, you know, on my own, on my own time and thinking it out for my own reasons and not for fucking swag and basketball shirts. Like just, (laughs) I just don't, (laughs) I just, I suck at that. I don't want to do that as an adult, as a way to cope with things. Like it's actually, I don't really can't say I regret the things I did growing up because I think that's part of growing up, you know? But I would still be doing that. And honestly, I still have dreams about things like that when I get stressed out as coping mechanisms. So I know that tells me all I need to know that those things are still what they ever were. You mean dreams of consuming? Yeah. I have smoking dreams when I get really stressed out. And it's been since I was like 19. So crazy. Yeah. So So it's like an anxiety anxiety solver, but it just wouldn't be, it would just be a new problem, you know, on top of the anxiety. Right. Yeah. Well, that answers my next question. I was going to say, did finding hardcore and like playing music lead to straight edge, or did you find straight edge before you started playing? Because for, for I guess me, the music, I found it through the music. I suppose. I don't know. It's kind of all at the same time with people. Yeah. Because for me, yeah. I stopped doing drugs and sm- like drinking and stuff, and I immediately jumped into playing music for the first time in my life. Oh, like wow. that that became wow. my new voice. Like I was just oh, like. Shit. Wow okay, like I need to do something. Shit is fucked. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know what to do with this. I, I need to like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And dude, 
hence Radwan and Jonah and this other guy, yeah. Eric, and we formed a band and we were terrible and we yelled a lot and went on tour. <laughs> you did everything right. <laughs> yeah. No, I just didn't know. Cause like for, for me, the way you're talking, you know, uh, the addictive personality and whatnot. So I didn't know if you went clean and became hyper obsessive about music or if it just kind of, no, I, lo- I always loved music and culture period, you know, and I never stopped other things for the sake of hardcore, you know, like I loved everything from jazz to like old music and old rock and roll and blues and soul the whole time. And my tastes in every other department kind of refined all along the way. So I didn't ever have that thing where it's like, now I'm all about hardcore and nothing else. You know, there was never a moment and there still isn't a moment. Like I always loved hardcore and I know exactly what I love about it, but it was never at the expense of other experiences or people, you know, like identity is, I can see why people need it and it, it's healthy to an extent, but I, I think it also if it closes you off. Like if you only look at things through a certain light, you don't see all the rest of it, you know? And I never want to not see, I like everything too much. Like I know I seem like misanthropic through everything in music, but I really <laughs> have always just like devoured. I like all of it, you know? Have you ever done anything that wasn't hardcore? Just now. Actually, I am <laughs> music wise. Yeah, exactly. No, in yeah. life, have you ever done anything that wasn't hardcore? <laughs> <laughs> in life, I don't know. I went to the store once. Yeah. I went into a gas station one time. I really regret it. I wish I hadn't done it. No, um, I am just just now doing that. Uh, over the course of lockdown, um, uh, we were talking about this, Chris, but I'm learning to play guitar and, and things. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've had guitars around for a long time. So I could explain like riffs from inside my head to a bandmate to make real riffs out of. But um, we know at the beginning of lockdown, when we didn't really know where any of it was going to go, I just like, I invested in lots of all the things I would need to just try and make music myself. So being an old dog, learning new tricks, it's funny being like 30 years into playing music, but I might as well be like 13 years old with a guitar stuck in my hands for the first time. (laughs) So my head's got like elaborate ideas, but my hands are still catching up. So I'm just now doing, uh, I'm just trying everything. So some stuff is really like folky and low and quiet. Um, And honestly, it's like a reflection of the last couple of years and the shit that's been going on. Like, yeah, you can't just have a screamy face about everything. Like that part of my life is absolutely real and sincere. The angry part of my head, but the last couple of years is like, what's appropriate to the moment is really a lot of grief. (laughs) We've Mm. lost a lot of things and I'm overwhelmed and I'm lost and I'm not. Mm. Some things that just like scream and fuck you's at doesn't really solve and doesn't really suit. So I'm trying to be as, um, as straightforward with myself as I would with something I'm, you know, screaming out of anger at about just being like fucking overwhelmed or a lot of people have died, a lot of things like that. So making music that sounds like that feels whatever the fuck that comes out like. Yeah, I, I totally I understand that immensely. Mm. <clears throat> and uh, no, I'm, I'm the, the reason I ask is because, you know, you said you listen to all kinds of different music, mm-hmm. but the, the expression that you're known for and pretty much anybody knows of you is just aggression and anger. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you, you throw it. I know that you love Leonard Cohen. I sure do. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's like, you know, lyrically, you have an ability to really phrase things well, where 
where I, I don't know if I feel like the average person would appreciate what you say, but wouldn't understand it, how you deliver it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a well said. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. That's, that's neat. Well, things like Leonard Cohen or all the things I like, they've been in there the whole time through all those hardcore bands. Like those are the records I was going off to find five minutes before the shows on tours, you know, like it was all the things. (laughs) Wow. Thanks. I hope that I can do it justice with whatever happens with this new stuff. Fuck doing it justice. You're doing you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You you said it before. You don't have anything in, in, in not so many words. You have nothing to prove to anybody. It's true. That's one of the, that's one of the things I find about getting older is there's less, I don't, you, I don't know if you ever felt that kind of pressure where you just kind of had to take a, you said it kind of before where you take a stance. You're like, this is who I am right now. And this is, I'm going to tell you about it. Yeah. And it's, I don't know. It's, 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 yeah. it's, a, it's a weird thing these days. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. We were talking with sect cause we're in the middle of writing a fourth LP just now. Um, you know, and we talked about this a lot last year. Um, Concept is really just gelling, as especially with the last record we made. Like it took about three to all kind of meet in the middle the way we had meant to, you know, just to, it takes time of course. Um, and practice, you know, being around each other. And the way, the only way we can play that band is like six weeks off, three days on at a time. But um, we were talking about it just like what the next record is going to be like. And not, not that I know specifically, like, but it just seems like uh, the only it, it needs to be a little bit mournful right now because mm. right now is mournful. And if, and you're full of shit, if you're just like, fuck you, because what are you fuck you? I mean, there's a million things, obviously <laughs> really clearly to, to be angry and fuck you about. But I mean, if that's all, that's the only emotion you can apply to this, like really for people that are into ecological things and social you know, justice, like we're in the middle of getting our asses kicked, like nothing ever in history, you know, and what's coming clearly down the line is like, makes the last 10 years look like fucking nothing. So uh, I don't need to fucking hide behind, like pretending that I'm like tougher than it. I'm just like, I'm overwhelmed. I hate it. It's really sad. We fucking lost hard. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I don't like, I'm not, it doesn't change a thing that I'm about or what I'll fight for, but like it, 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 it's worth acknowledging that the right way. So I don't know. That's where my head's at. Cause like, how could it not be? Look, look around, you know? Yeah. And, that's yeah. Like, and the key word that you're using is acknowledging that acknowledging yeah. grief, you know, right. how's that changing you? It's been a heavy couple of years. It's been a weird couple of years. It's changing me a lot. Actually. Like I had a, a uh, a confluence of things happened at the same time. I came home from the last set shows when we were still out in March of 2020. So like COVID was fully going on, <laughs> uh, it was underway. And that's the last I've still seen my bandmates until next month when we have something finally. But um, I don't know. I came home and I, I injured myself really bad, really, really bad. My back, I've got a fucked up back and I've had trouble on and off, but I, um, I ruptured a disc in my lower back like it tore and it herniated and it was right at the early covid where just everything was not an option you know there's no such thing as a hospital and i had to go for mris which took forever to get to and it was like plastic everywhere um so that happened i don't know i think it was just the combination of like 
some deaths in the close to me. And, um, I mean, that's part of life and that happens, but it just happened at this moment where everything felt really like really not unforgiving and unrelenting, you know, and the, the combination of that and finally being met with these like hard, uh, limits that I never liked to acknowledge before, Yeah, but I, I was, I was basically a little bit paralyzed for the moments that it was healing. Cause it was like a stretch of time. It took five or six months to heal it until I could really get me up and around. It was like that. And that was like yeah. the primo COVID was spent like flat on my back. So that was happening. And then in a lot of pain, physical pain yeah. and the kind of emotional pain. And then sure. just like world anxiety, you can do nothing but doom scroll in the fucking dark for two years. It was a really yeah. bad comedy. You know? And it's left me like even the music stuff I'm doing now, I meant to do it back then. I had the idea to do it, but it really took this long to really get going. So it's funny because it's happening now as things reopen. And I'm just like, yeah, you go ahead and reopen. <laughs> I'm really a- accustomed to my space a lot more than I-, I was. And I was already pretty reclusive, but now it's it's really in there. <laughs> yeah, so, I get that. Yeah. Now that it's warmer, are you spending more time up north? Dude, that was... I have like land in a cabin up north and yeah, that's been really good for my mind over the last like seven or eight years. But uh, the way that it rolled out with COVID and Doug Ford and all the bullshit here, um, when you couldn't travel between regions oh, yeah. we had and the OPP here. were fucking dicks about it. There were like six cruisers at every, you know, highway exit to give people these like $800 tickets for just going place to place. So when I couldn't go there for exactly what the fuck I got it for, um yeah. it really bummed me out a lot you know it just made me like realize okay you can't run from any of this like you just have to just sit here some more and think about it all so i really haven't i'm gonna go up a lot this year now that it's nicer nice. but yeah i didn't really get up there much at all through covid because of that yeah fair enough are there yeah. things that you can share about what you've about grief sure man well what about it Well, you know, you went, you know, from a lot of anger and then back into acknowledging grief, you were in pain, uh, you had death around you. um, And you know what I, anger and grief, they're like the yin and the yang. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Um, Man, I don't know. Like, I I actually, I have zero problem talking about things that are personal, just, uh, I don't know. Um, What helped you grieve? Well, what, what? What helped you grieve? Like, I, how did you grieve? Oh, I just got broken in half. <laughs> Physically. <laughs> I had to, it was in, involuntarily. <laughs> okay, this might sound really dumb, but it was an animal. Uh, they're really just uh, the floodgates for so many other things, you know? Like, I, I fully know how it is. It's not, I feel like a little kid to say this, but. I was never had any pets, um, never got really close to an animal in my whole life. Mm. We have a cat or we had a cat. I don't know. You see him on my wall. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> First thing I see when I wake up in the morning now, uh, just my oh. cat, just my little dude that was just like physically attached to me all the time. It was like an unreal person like cat but uh just a crazy bond with just something any small thing that has nothing to do with the world that breaks your fucking brain just something that's only good you know and that helped you grieve 
No, no, I mean cause. losing, 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 losing something it. that is just like that's gotcha. the thing I lost. Okay, you know gotcha. what I mean? Like, yeah. so it, it really felt like you will get no comforts. <laughs> mm. So you really, and I mean, like my mom is dying. There's a lot, a lot of friends died over COVID. There's a lot, but it's funny because a little thing like this, this tiny little like eight pound fucking creature that just was like, especially with my back, because he was like sitting on me purring the whole time. <laughs> it was right. about the only, you know, like my wife took really good care of me and my cat was right there. So she came home one day and he was just splayed out like zero heads up. And this is, this isn't a fucking sob story, you know, like Chris, you lost your dad, right? Yeah. In June. Yeah. You know, we got, there's, there's way bigger things, but it's almost like because of those bigger things, it's the symbolic little things that are close to you that sometimes set you off for all the shit that you can't process. That's right. Absolutely. And honestly, I was talking to my buddy Matsu today about this because he just found out that his dad uh, has cancer. And with COVID and everything being fucked up still, he's having trouble getting uh, appointments uh, for sur- surgery and stuff. He's yeah. literally just sitting around waiting for a surgery date. They're like, you just have to wait. We'll call you the day of or the day before and you'll just come in. And he's just sitting and waiting. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he's scared and I understand. And I told him it's a terrible thing. And I said, and then we were talking about animals. Um, and I said, you know, I, this may be because, you know, Stephanie uh, honestly says that she doesn't think I've really dealt with my father's death yet, you know, but because my father was able to communicate before he died, you know, like we, we had a terrible relationship my whole life, Yeah, but the, the last year, a little, yeah, a little more than a year, he got diagnosed with cancer in 2017, beat it, mm-hmm. um, and then the bad cancer in 2020. So last a few years. But I told him that having to put my dog to sleep after 13 years was harder because yeah. there was no conversation. There was no dialogue. I yeah. couldn't, I, I tried so hard to explain to my dog. I'm sorry. I, you know, I should have put him down probably like four months before I did. And I, I try yeah. to apologize and, you know, he's a dog. He doesn't get it. And he just yeah. looks up at me and he's like, oh no, I, I'm going to die now, but I love you. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh Jesus. Christ. Well, dude, of course. Cause that's so pure and that's only good. You've never fought with your dog. You never argued about where you were fucking going out at night. You've never, you know what I mean? Like all those yeah. things, dysfunctional shit about families. You just like an animal is just a part of your life. That's only good and only brings you joy, you know? It, Exactly. And they depend on you. Yeah. So you feel a little weird when they depend on you that that happens because it's like, did I feel like you fucked something up? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, so you know, you you talking about that being a breaking point, I like that resonates fully. Yeah. Fully with me. And it's not, it's, it's not to, to, to diminish the passing of my father. No, I, you know, by I any means, like that, that was horribly detrimental to me yeah um but it's as a catalyst when things are starting to go wrong yeah losing an animal is yeah losing deep connections that's exactly it exactly yeah yeah. that's on your terms and it's in your life and you don't have walls up about it because you never needed them with something like that this is exactly the crux of like the what the way I think about a lot of things, like not consciously, but really it's 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 all that you're saying. 
Yeah. Um, I had, a, this is even, it's going to sound even more trivial, but it's even more not if you think about things this way. There was a possum, just like a wild animal. You know, I was in my shed one night and this scritching like that sounded like the mice up at my cabin. I'm like, somebody's in here. And this big, dumb, adorable fucking possum came walking out <laughs> and just like walked up to me like, it's me. I'll leave. Like, no, no, we're good. <laughs> I made him a, it actually took a, like, it took months and months of really going really slow. And, uh, we got kind of a bond and I got, we got like a schedule and I was feeding him and he, yeah. Um, but that's like a wild animal. But to me, like, that's one of the most touching things that's ever could happen because this is like, unlike an animal, like a dog or a cat, this is something reaching across a divide, you know, uh, and, and, and trusting you and that like that was, and he, got killed and that blew my mind i mean that was i feel like a little kid logic saying this shit but it really is like the same your heart still works the same as it ever did when you're a kid we should be listening more to that voice because that's like yeah. you know that's more honest than a lot of the shit when everything after we grow up just like it's just about connection with things and what's real and something like that is only a hundred percent real you know yeah and so, i love your so yeah when, your analogy of, you know, being a kid, because kids are all about connection. They're always connected all the time to the present moment, whether it's in their imagination, whether it's in a game, whether it's in whatever it is. Well, did you ever ever deal with Taoism in the course of psychology? Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's something I studied a lot in school. And like one of the few philosophical things that I respect, because it doesn't really have a God, so it's easier for me to kind of get into, but it absolutely has the same thing. Like you're, you're smarter and you're more whole you start out more whole and you only get more fragmented once you put definitions on everything. So really like you're never going to be as pure, as smart as you were right out of the womb. (laughs) So really kids, kids know what's up more than we probably do in terms of just like honest, honest reactions to things and seeing what they are and that they're fucked. Yeah. And you can look at a kid, you know, I often tell this, uh, a three-year-old, I mean, that's, if you want to feel, see pure anger, look at a toddler. Yeah, it's from head to toe. I mean, veins are popping, and uh, there is no kind of social self that says, "Well, I shouldn't be that angry." Or uh, how right. is that person's going to react if I show my anger? Oh no, they're a hundred percent in. Yeah, you're right. They don't have self consciousness yet. They don't think like I can't do this in front of this room of people. Just like yeah. pure information just comes right out. That's it. Same with joy. Yeah, you know, like pure joy. I mean, I could see my. You know, my son, when he was even younger, I was like, oh, my God, I wish I could feel as he feels when he looks at the snow. He's like, wow, you know, just <laughs> the whole body just drops, yeah. right? That's awesome. He's lost yeah. uh, a lot of this, you know, uh, as yeah. growing adults. And I think we're trying to find it again or maybe through the arts. Yeah, you're, maybe. You're kind of connecting to those deeper feelings. I guess, yeah. I don't know if it's normal to just be that way, if it's even normal to aspire to want to go back to those, that kind of thinking, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's that kind of thinking. It's just the ability to enjoy like Tebow, you're saying when Albert sees something, he gets really happy and excited. Does it change the way you perceive things or do you look at it the same way and be like, ah, fuck now I'm going to shovel. Well, it makes me stop and, and, and look at it and say, wow, you know, he's seeing it for the first time. I've seen snow falling all the time. And yeah, you're right. I may be seeing, you know, 
I'm going to have to shovel right now. And we got 20 minutes before school starts. So uh, I got to move, yeah. you know? Uh, but yet there's that little moment where you're like, oh, wow. You know? Yeah. And we connect. But that's really that special that you can, yeah, you can see that through him. So that's really cool that you get glimpses of that, you know, directly. You that's know? where the child becomes the teacher, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why I like it when you're saying, you know, at a show, you know, you're 25, you're 65. We're all the same. We're all uh, yeah. connected. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's only us that ever decides that something is or isn't appropriate anymore. Who should be your friends or, you know, how you should interact. Yeah. So it's our rules, at least in here. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, at least in here, unfortunately, now with the way the world is, you have to watch what you say and watch what you do. And, you know, if you're, if you're a good person, I don't really think it's an issue. I don't think these are things you have to worry about. Yeah. But which again, like full circle brings us back specifically in, in music and hardcore and punk for me, it's, it comes back to the ethics. You know, if, if you're, if you're a good person and you're, you're doing this with sincerity and heart, there's no reason for anyone to reproach. There's nothing for anyone to reproach. You know, it's, it's just, it's, I don't know. Maybe that's just, again, a naive way of looking at it, but I don't know. I think it's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, damn. So you guys like the fucking Mandalorian or what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What do you end up? Boob- boobs? You guys like boobs? Uh, I don't know. Chocolate? You like dark chocolate? Uh, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> Uh, the, the, yeah, this this is kind of what happens. Uh, we've we've had we've had some guests like go down fucking rabbit holes, man. Where you're just the, there's there's that long conversation where everyone just kind of pauses and resets, and you're just like, <laughs> hey, let's try this again. Yeah, you guys can you guys can put the like the can, the cartoon frog that gets yanked off the stage with the cane. You can do that to me anytime you need to. Right here, <laughs> can, uh, no, that's yeah. that's kind of the premise of this, and you know, re- realistically. This is this is kind of where Tebow comes in to the play. You know, Tebow, you and I will just shoot the shit and it'll be funny and it'll be it'll be what it is. And then Tebow will come in, you know, just like, but how does that make you feel? <laughs> or he'll have a really like appropriate question and all of a sudden your brain's running a mile a minute, like, oh shit, I never thought of it that way. I never and you know what's interesting is really those how questions, how people do things. You know what I mean? And uh, a lot of things that you do naturally, you don't really think about it. But if you were to define all the steps of how you do something, then you teach someone how to do it. And, and somebody else may not know how to do it. And they're like, it's not that they're defective or, you know, they're, it's that they don't know how to do something. So it's like playing guitar, right? And life yeah. is. So, you know, when the question about asking about, you know, how do you grieve? I think it's kind of an interesting question to hear other people of how they go about it or how do you write a song, you know, like, uh, how does it start? And <laughs> it's a question for you, man. Oh my God. Yeah. Where does the creativity comes in? Like saying, Hey, I think I have a, like a nugget for a song. Yeah. For me. And I've got like pretty bad ADD too. So something like, uh, music, like GarageBand or Pro Tools, if you deal with those, just like the potential to just make like 600 threads of something until you're just lost in the chaos of something. And then you just like get frustrated and walk away from it and come back to it. 
yeah, I'm learning the, learning to, it takes, I don't know. I had just taught myself from the ground up. Like I was familiar enough with uh, some of those programs from being like in a studio, you know, like if somebody set it up, like all those cursed things, like intros and outros and all the electronic and spoken kind of things like cursed and swarm and records always had them. And I did those, but somebody could leave me alone and set the framework up and then let me tinker with it for a long time. But this is the first I've ever like, how do I make something out of actual nothing? Like it was really intimidating to know where to start to jump in. So it took like a year of a lot of trial and error to finally get a little bit of bearings on how to make the framework to begin with. Yeah, and plus with COVID, you can't just call your friend who's got a studio and right. be like, hey, can I bring my laptop over? Or can you come over and just show me on my on my laptop like what how to get this started? Totally. Yeah, no, I just, I, I and I like that about it too, because I think I realized like I just want this to be however it is, even if it's like parts of it are kind of shitty or amateurish, like that's the reality of it. Like I want it to sound like where I'm at and I'm not, I'm not good at it. I just started doing it, you know? So I like that about it. I'm just going to let it be like what it is as good as I can do it for now, but I don't really have the patience to wait years to get better at it. And I'm not sure I'm going to ever be able to do it in front of anybody alone, solo things, but uh, Mm. I don't know. Just kind of carving some kind of new path out into the, you know, to the ether. I don't know where it's going. Do you play an instrument? I grew up drumming, so that I can do, and I can play bass kind of okay because of that. So it's really guitar is the biggie, but no, I got everything in the last couple of years from like weird bowed fucking Viking (laughs) lyre to an accordion harmonica like everything i ever had like laying around my house i just like i'm gonna just use all these things and make it's gonna turn into something wow yeah yeah i read somewhere you were the first drummer for fucked up uh yeah it's it sounds more involved than it is i guess but it was more like at that time we were all incarnation of yeah well mike from fucked up played in ruination um oh yeah at you know and they all kind of overlapped so it's like we all had different songs like you know when back then when you'd kind of have like six different bands and then like you'd be hanging out over the weekend there'd be like another band like it didn't really matter that you had the other five like you just made another one yeah so it was it was one of those things i I definitely wouldn't i mean mike and all those kids deserve the credit for all the things they did but i was around it as the as that was coming together but it wasn't even i don't think it was even fucked up yet uh, by name I apparently played a show that way, but I, it's like there was so much going on. Then it's weird to not remember to not drink and then not remember some things, but there was a lot happening. But yeah, I was around for that. I played in career suicide a little bit too, like at a, on an EP drumming. But oh, so when you started playing music, were you the drummer or the singer? I was drumming at the very beginning with my high school friends, and then I went to singing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's funny. I so yeah. I can't, I can't picture you being the guy behind the drums. You're so animated when you get on stage. Oh, damn. Thanks. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not great. It's been a long time, but I can, I don't know. It's the only thing I ever really played, played growing up. Yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to picture like teenage Chris full of angst and anger (laughs) behind a drum kit, as opposed to like hanging from the light rigging, (laughs) screaming upside down. Similar energies though. (laughs) Just like trying to smash everything around you. (laughs) (laughs) nice um what else uh yeah when i mentioned all the bands that you were part of um i left that oxygen tank because you know you aren't cult-like yet 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's too new. It's still fresh. Still got that new band smell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now that band, do you, are you going to, well, so I guess this, this applies to all things, you know, with the state of the world and the fact that you like, you don't have a local band anymore. All your bands are, no, no. are fly-in bands as it's as yeah. it now. Yeah, that's right. You know? I mean, yeah. how, how does that affect, you know, what do you, are you able to, to just kind of, you know, I know for me, there are just days where I call up like our, our band. We don't have, we have a, we have a local lineup, but when we tour, we always have to get fill-in members. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I feel very fortunate to have a local lineup for the first time in years. And so it's like, Hey everybody, I'm freaking out. I need to jam and just get this out. And Nine times out of ten, they'll be like, "Yeah, totally. Let's go. Let's do it." Not being able to have that, how? Like, what do you? How does? What do you do? I don't know if you feel the same way that I do sometimes. Or no, I do. I do. I really miss it. Um, like Burning Love was the last band that was like that in town, and I really miss just like riding my bike to the jam space and just getting sweaty in a room, and then you know walking and talking and eating food somewhere, street food, too late, and hanging out. It's been a while since that. Um. No, I don't. I just don't have it anymore. You know, I don't have that around me. I have friends that I, I, mean, I probably had the option. I could get things together like that, but I'm also like, again, the timing of just getting way more private and way more, you know, low yeah. key. It's, it's bad. It's like easily becomes like a habit. It, you know, becomes like a new way you do everything. And I, I don't, I don't want to be that fucking much of a recluse where I can avoid it all the time. But I, yeah. It's also weird because actually like playing, like singing, you know, if you do nothing for six weeks and then you suddenly like you get one jam in, like I usually, we base out of Raleigh with sect because three of them are in North Carolina and Andy's in Portland. So me and Andy like fly to Raleigh and we just jam and then we play. Um, but yeah, it's usually like my voice over time, especially like cursed because we did really long, long tours. Um it has to get beat up for a couple of days and then it's gold for a while, yeah. but I never get that with this. Cause the thing is only a couple of days. <laughs> so mm. there's like a jam and then my voice is shot and I can like force it through the shows. And then it's really fucked up and bloody and weird. Uh, and then that's it. And then nothing again for, you know, like a, a month and a bit and then I repeat. So you're never really in, uh, in shape for it and musically. Yeah. So, yeah, I miss that. And I'm guessing you're not the type to like stand in your bathroom and, you know, you're, you're going to sing, a, a sing, yeah, you're going to sing a, a nice yeah. smooth song, like a yeah. Towns Van Zandt song or something, as opposed I to like, nice, as opposed to screaming like a sect song to warm up your voice. Yeah, no, nothing in the world sounds as stupid as somebody screaming hardcore wise into an empty room, <laughs> even tracking like it's the worst. It's the worst sound, especially when it's really like when you're not warmed up and it's all pterodactyly and shit. It's the dumbest shit ever. No, I hate it. I hate it so much. Even recording records, I will do like an entire record while everybody goes out to get burritos because I just don't want them sitting in there hearing me go. Oh, it's the dumbest shit ever. I hate it. Um, <laughs> Sounds great with music. Yeah, well, that's true. this is where the Towns Van Zamp part might come in soon. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, we just recorded with Rad One, yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, in January and February. Um, and when it came time to do the vocals, I I got this weird PTSD because the first time I ever did vocals, the way it was set up 
well, I was 17. I had been sober for four months, five months. Yeah. Never played in a band before, never sang. You know, I don't, we, we split the songs. Jonah had one, Brad had a couple, I had a couple. And I'm standing there, you know, there's the big window in front of you. And at the studio right there was a couch. And so it was Jonah, Radwan, and our drummer, Eric, sitting yeah. there. And we never had a PA system when we jammed. Like, and so no one knew what the vocals sounded like. None, none of oh, us did. No. Yeah. So yeah. the fucking song starts. And I start singing. And it's just the worst shit you've ever... Like, <laughs> and all I can see is those three assholes just pointing at me and laughing their heads Oh, off. no. That does not help. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta not look. I gotta not see everybody if they're sitting there in a, on a couch. Yeah, I don't like it. Was it yeah. Philion? No, 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 different, different, Eric. Okay, different Eric. I play. I played in a band with Philion. We played one show. We were in a band called Se- Seize, not Seized. S S E A Z, and we played one show. I think it was with Good Riddance, like a secret oh, show. Shit. Yeah. Um. Wow. Yeah, no, it was, it was a different Eric, but yeah, that's, and it, it's funny you said, like, I'm now at the point where if I'm doing vocals, out, 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 yeah. out, <laughs> yeah. out. Um, with this band, I'll, I'll let Stephanie stay, but I can't see her because I'll sit there and be like, it's done. Okay, I'm done. And then the engineer, most times the engineer will be like, okay, cool. Like, cause they don't know what it's supposed to sound like. Right. Yeah. And Steph's yeah. like, <clears throat> I think you should redo this part and this part and <laughs> yeah. this part. And you're like, fuck. Yeah, it's hard. You know, when you're playing a show and something goes out or a monitor or something weird fucks up and there's like 20 seconds where you can't hear, but you're looking and you're just like, have to keep doing what you're doing and trust that it's the right thing. That even though you can't hear it right. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like you just have to know, like this will make sense the way it all comes together. But at that moment you just hear it yourself and it, God, I always get in the, I, I think like I fucked it all up. The record was, everyone did their part so good. And I just like fucked it up. It's really hard. Yeah. I don't sleep a lot during the course of recording because I'm stressing about it. And how fun is it when they get to mixing and they just, they isolate just the vocals. Oh my God. Drop all the music out. <laughs> the fucking worst. It's the worst. I had one syllable on the last sec record that I was trying to like lay it down and kind of write it at the same time. And at one syllable, I actually, for the first time in my life, said the wrong thing. Just like one word was like a little bit, no one ever gave a shit or even noticed, but I sure did. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Same. You say a but instead of an and or something. Yeah. You're like, no, that's not what it's supposed to say. Fuck. See, it's it- like what you guys were saying about like being made into a culty or whatever, a figure by people. It's really weird when like the thing that is your medicine for being self-conscious itself can also be the thing that makes it self-conscious you know like mm-hmm. i play music to forget myself mm-hmm. you know like to not feel like i'm a fucking lacking self-conscious person and all the things that we all hate about ourselves to so like just fucking lose that in the dark in the loud so that's why i don't like thinking of like yeah i'm the guy from the thing <laughs> like all right that's <laughs> that's great for all of you but i'm not aware of it that way i'm just like today is today and this is the song from right now you know yeah. are you able to listen to your own records Never. No. Everything else about them, like I really stand behind the things I say and I remember them because when we've had reunion kind of things advanced, those things are 20 years later and they're still like word for word verbatim in my in my mind. So definitely like I'd, I'm attached to that side of it. 
but I could, I, I can't know other than when you listen to it a million times for production sure. when, when you're making it, but I, I don't, I don't like having it around and my poor wife doesn't, she, yeah, she won't, I won't let her put cursed things up around the house or my band's stuff. I'm like, you got to keep a suitcase of these things. She's got a suitcase. <laughs> and I'm glad she does. Cause I wouldn't anymore keep those things. So I'm glad that she did, but, uh, Maybe I will at some point, but I feel like that's something you do when you're done doing it. You know, that's a good way of looking at it. To and I want to, I want to ask you about reunions. You did a Left for Dead reunion. You played. I think you guys played Chaos and Chaos. We did. Yeah. 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 And you know, I I find I'm having a really hard time nowadays coming to terms with the fact that everybody is kind of worshiping nostalgia. And bands yeah. that aren't active anymore or that are like reforming this and that when there are so many good bands. Dude, yeah. Now. Tell me about it. Yeah, I know. That's been my entire trajectory of like hardcore. Like Left for Dead, but not until 10 years after Left for Dead. And then Cursed was the biggest deal 10 years after Cursed. I don't know. Uh, and when Left for Dead happened, that's the only time I kind of drank the reunion Kool-Aid, a little bit of it. And that's not that I wish I hadn't, but we also, I wish we hadn't done that so much. Just could have done it in like one or two weekends and left it alone. How much uh, did you do? It was like a couple years it dragged out. And we all like, it was all pretty good. But by the end of it, we're playing some like convention center, like a festival. It was like MDF sort of related stuff. Like, but like one in the afternoon on some way humongous stage when it was like shows that were relative to the kinds of shows we would have played, it made sense, but it didn't make sense to be like, cult band the third year running you know like i the band was only like a year and a half the the first time around yeah so mm -hmm. i don't know at that point i was really just missing being with burning love you know like it was these really big deal sort of shows but that wasn't what left for dead was ever like for me so good for everybody else and it was cool because a lot of kids got a lot out of it and um it was really for them and for that that, we, that i did it you know because kids had never got to see something and we never got very far from home like Montreal one time was as far as we ever played out. So I liked it for that, but also like, yeah, like I still, I still play in bands, <laughs> you know, yeah, I got a it's... band back home in a practice space. And that just made me like, I kind of, those moments where I was like, I'd kind of rather be in a basement playing to 20 kids with burning love. Cause that's the band that's relative to what's happening in my life now. Hmm. You know, do you like playing big shows? Uh, it's, regardless of the size i think it's really just vibe for me i don't like i don't like big shows that are like concerty and you're really like on a stage and lights are on you like i like there can be a really big show that's really good and chaotic you know what i mean i think i just like sinking in on the floor of a show mm -hmm. um and whether it's 20 people or 2000 i just like I got to be able to lose myself in it. So sometimes bigger shows, I'll fucking walk around and do dumb shit just because like I have to break this weird fourth wall because I feel so self-conscious and that take, takes me out of it, you know? Yeah. It's like know. a hall of fucking mirrors, like this endless bunch of reflections bounced off. Like you're doing the thing you're trying to do, but you're just seeing yourself doing it, <laughs> performing your numbers. And I, I don't like that shit. I don't like that feeling. Is there an inner or, you know, kind of ritual that you do, you know, to get into that kind of? No, I throw myself in the deep end and I stress a ton. And I, my bandmates now, like Sect understands, I'll be like, uh, you know, down the street outside, but it's not like in a flaky way. Like I'll absolutely be there on the, on the moment we start playing. 
but I just get stressed out. I never got over that from the first show I ever played 30 years ago, just being stressed out, standing up in front of people. And it could be three people or it can be uh, many, many people. And just like I have to, the only thing that solves it is playing, you know, it's like this weird self-cleaning oven of anxiety. Like it just makes me belt it out. And that's the only way I get around it. And just to let people know, how many shows have you done in your life? (laughs) Fuck, I don't know. I'd imagine a couple thousand. I don't know. I mean, like Left 4 Dead played over 220 or 30 shows in 2005. I mean, Cursed. Sorry. Uh, And that was like the heaviest kind of touring band was like in the 200s. And that was one year, you know? So I would imagine, I don't know, a lot of shows. (laughs) And I think that's what people are surprised. You're like, man, he's played like over a thousand shows and he still gets stressed out. Even if, you know, there's like 10 people. Yeah. What are you stressed about? I don't know. I think uh, doing my part the right way, not fucking it up, remembering everything right. And I don't know. I just don't feel like I'm like, who the fuck am I to be up there telling people about life? Mm. You know, it's my therapy. It's my therapy for me. It turns out it bounces off other people and it does them some good. So that does me some more good too. So, so the self-consciousness um, kind of brings up the anxiety and then you lose it when you perform. Yeah. Like I have to play to get through the stress of being stressed out to play. Like all I can do is fucking shriek, you know, and that's how I feel at that moment. It's like the more wired I am, the more in knots I am. Usually the better a show turns out to be. Yeah. Because yeah. of that. <clears throat> interesting yeah i'm almost not ever 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 just casual feel in control sure of myself that's just not me at all so which is funny because as soon as you get on that stage you're the total opposite yeah it's weird right (laughs) yeah it's Um, not bullshit it's not like an alter ego or anything it's just and it's sincere just yeah i don't know um do you ever listen to steve earl yeah yeah so in Guitar Town, he's got a he's got a line where, you know, the whole song's about like just trying to make it and doing this and not getting anywhere and you know, like shit. And he goes, and I get on stage, I put my back to the riser and I make my stand. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. It was it was yeah. a line that's always resonated with me because I'm 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 kind of I'm kind of in that same boat. Like I I get nervous, but it's more uh, an excitable, anxious, nervous, like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. Um, and then, like, here, here's an example. In 97, uh, All the Answers played with Social Distortion. And I was fucking nervous, like, stupid <laughs> nervous. Like, it made no sense. Yeah. You know, um, and these are one of the, these are kind of the stories, those things that just stick in your head forever. We started with a song that started with like a palm you build, like and then kicks off, right? So song's building up, song kicks off, and I'm frozen, like oh no. And I looked around, I was like, oh fuck. And I just kicked in. After that, everything was fine. Yeah. Everything was great. I was like, well, it can't get worse than that. Yeah. That's good. Damn it. Yeah. Fuck, man. Steve Earl is really i loved a lot of the stuff that stuff he did in the wake of 9-11 that thing about the american jihadi kid that is so fucking amazingly confrontational for somebody in country music circles to be singing on that side of the fence 
Um, or even just to be like dignifying that somebody's own story from a different perspective than people want to hear. I really respect him a lot. And I got pretty into Justin Towns Earl just in the last two years. I never really listened to his stuff much until pretty recently. Yeah, I'm I'm more a Steve Earl fan than a Justin Towns Earl fan. But I, last time I saw Steve Earl, uh, Steph and I saw him in Detroit in 2017. And he went on a little rant about Trump and some people booed him. And he was just straight up, fuck you. You don't like it. Get out. Awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's awesome. That's that. That's what it should be. Yeah. I, I just, I remember being like, fuck yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. That dude's going it alone for sure with that. Cause that's, that's pretty, that's pretty pure hearted, you know, for somebody like to be able to be like that it, to the detriment of their own fucking whatever the crowd or the approval of their own crowd. Even that's yeah. the real deal. Yeah. And it, it's funny, you know, he was, he was, I mean, he was saying that he's like, he goes, you know, um, he was talking about how he loves playing music and he goes, but I'm at a stage in my life where I like writing music and recording music. He goes, touring for long periods of time is really hard on me. Uh, he goes, but I've not been the best person in my life. I've got two divorces. I have alimony to pay. So I got to hit the fucking road. And it, it wow. also reminds me of like Willie Nelson, who's like, well, the IRS wants me. So going back on the road. Yeah. Leonard Cohen too. Same. Yeah, totally. Exactly. So just, you know, yeah. it, it makes me, and don't take offense to this, that you're starting to play the solo acoustic stuff. Yeah. You're, you're getting to a point where, you know, I, I know you're going to go play shows with sect. Like I, I'm not saying that this is happening, but it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's an easier path to take uh, physically, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Like I also have to work with the reality of my limitations and the fact that I can record music at home. I can't do the, the same way. The yeah. things that are that loud. Yeah. And my throat is pretty fucking scarred up from years of that. You know, like I've never had a good system. I just fucking shriek until it bleeds every time, all these times. So it's, I mean, it still works for that, you know, but I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't need to have any weird machismo about mellowing out. Like I'm absolutely getting my ass kicked in my head in the last couple of years. And, um, if that's not tough or it's not dark or not fucking angry enough, then that's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, are there things that you're getting tired of? Like Chris was talking about, you know, like Steve Earl being tired of touring. Are there things that you're just like, Oh, not about shows. I mean, about life. Yeah. Not about shows. Okay. I love so, it. I what? Sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. So touring for you and playing shows, uh, you're still as excited as ever. I am. I actually really prefer and love touring like in a van, you know, like a, a full tour. And that's really hard for us to do because of everybody's bands and schedules and, you know, people are dads. Mm -hmm. There's a mm -hmm. lot. It's hard. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the times that we do get to actually do like a full tour where like I get to dust it off and then like hit, you know, hit a stride and just hang with everybody and, and not just be like on a plane home by the time, you know, you play a show. Um, I really like that. I actually, I, I like that more and more. Like I miss that more um, mm -hmm. rather than being over it. No, I'm just like over everything else with life. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you were actually able to do that? Like an actual tour that, you know, you found your groove and you were able to. 
Well, with sex, um, with Converge in the UK, just like, I guess, the summer before COVID happened in the winter was the last we had like a tour like that. And we were supposed to be out with Darkest Hour. We were going to have a tour, like a van tour tour, um, which was going to be like the April, you know, 2020. (laughs) So then it got pushed up and pushed up and then COVID just kept rolling out. So not sure. Hopefully we'll do that as we get the fourth LP out. Um, Not sure. Yeah, so I was—I didn't know if Sect was the intention behind Sect was to actually tour, tour, or just do the the fly-ins, play like four days on the East Coast and four days on the West Coast, and you know what I mean, kind of thing. Or that's that's really just by necessity, just by like the circumstance. The only way we can do it, you know. So we pick like a a quadrant at a time, and we you know we'll do like New York, Boston, Philly, like do you know a bunch of spots within a within an area. But yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I. How do you how do you find? And this is this is another thing that I find kind of of, of weird that I, I've adapted to, but it took me a while. You know, when we were touring in the '90s, if you there one, there were not as many bands. Holy fuck, there were not as many bands. <laughs> true. So it, was, it was a little easier. Um, yeah, and there was more crossover in the scenes. You know, like you could you could play a show. You could be the hardest band in the world, like. You know, and it'd be the show would be drop dead against all authority. Yeah. Uh, us and a street punk band. Dude, that's so true. And people do not understand that now that like they're used to seeing all these little sub scenes and these perfect little pockets and departments. But like to explain to somebody that like ass suck and lifetime were on the same show, like that wasn't weird. It wasn't even mm-hmm. weird. It's like it was no, all, no. it was all hardcore, you know, like the fucking promise ring and you know the same show is like the locust or something it, it, that actually happened a lot of times yeah i remember uh we've actually played a show with trial and elliot you know, yeah it's, it's just like oh, okay but it, my, my my thought was more like you know in those days you used to have to call people or you used to have to like send an like mail a demo cassette yeah to get shows and and now you know it's it's just kind of it's a totally different world. You're sending an email to someone who's sending, who's getting a hundred emails a day from bands. Yeah. And it's kind of <laughs> like, well, how the fuck do you stand out? Yeah. I know. We used to tour with an Atlas too, just like an actual. Oh map yeah. Tour, right. You know? Rand McNally. Yeah. You <laughs> see like a, you see a punk kid and we're like, Hey, where's this thing? Uh, it's down the street. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> or like, were they top in the van? You're like, Oh, yeah, here, I'll take totally. you. Yeah. Straight up, yeah. Give people rides from like city to city. Yeah, that's really a lost uh, reality, I think now. Yeah. How do you think hardcore's changed over the years? Um, I think that everything and in culture period, I think pre and post internet is a different game. Mm. Um, I'm really, really glad, and I feel really lucky to be around sect now because I also get to see. Um, and be proven wrong about my stereotypes about hardcore and scenes and people, you know? So like getting to hang out and like I said, kicking on the sidewalk with like a 20 year old kid. That's like non-binary anarchist, vegan yeah. straight edge kid. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Cause I grew up and I, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about what I thought straight edge kids were about to me, even when I was stopped drinking, but I'm like, this jockey bullshit is not my thing. Mm. And that was often just like the way that people metabolize dogma when they're too young to really have the maturity to know, how they don't have to lay it on that kind of thick or that overwrought. But yeah. um, 
No, and I, I love it because that 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 isn't that at all now. You know, like kids are like modern kids are. Period now, which is a lot a lot more worldly, a lot less like easily defined in a good way. Mm. So I don't know. I don't know if I just fucked up that question. No, I think <laughs> it, it totally like, it, and it's incredible how in 20, 30 years, how many, how things changed. Yeah. Like this kind of fluidity in terms of identity. And it's true. And yet there's also these little niches. Well, that's the part that I think, yeah, like the internet probably made it um, so everybody could be perfectly tasteful and mm. exactly dialed in just to go from zero to that. Like their first band is the perfect synthesis of like side by side and SOA or something that just wouldn't really have happened that way, you know? So maybe it's hard to tell uh, why, I don't know. But then at the same time, there's kids whose bands that are young like full of hell or something. And they're not even really that young anymore, but a band like that is absolutely as good as the most top notch things you could hold it up against like napalm death or ass up like bands like that, or just like skateboarding, you know, you see things now and like that, that kid is what the fuck is in the water that, that someone's able to defy gravity to the extent yeah. that they are now, you know, dude, I, um, I uh, watch escape videos. Fuck man, you're just like how you know in our day it was Rodney Mullen pulled the craziest shit and yeah. you know like uh Gons had the best style and totally. now it's like oh some 16 year old kid just dropped a 20 set while doing a kickflip it's insane <laughs> or like full full circles of things like shit that's like man and i guess it's just an extension of like yeah you see Rodney Mullen or Day One song or something like it's creativity too, you know, it's kind of beautiful about that stuff yeah. that you'd think outside the box forever and forever. So we shouldn't be that surprised that kids are still able to think further and further outside the box, mm. but you, it's pretty glorious to watch. I did. did I grew up skating. Yeah. Okay. Hmm? Do you yeah. still skate? My back and oh, yeah, okay. my back injuries really fucked me up for a lot of things. Um, but then realistically just fucking age, I guess too. My knees are kind of shitty, but in theory, I got a skateboard that looks at me with guilt in its eyes as I pass by it on the way out the door every oh, day. Yeah, I got one right there. Yeah. <laughs> it rips out the door. I used to carry it in my car. Oh, man. There's too much yeah. guilt involved in that. I still have knee pads in my car, though. Oh, shit. Like, yeah. So if I ever do bring a skateboard, it's like, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I need to get back. I need to get back on it. I like a good, like a good mini, a good mini half I could fuck around with. Um, you oh, know Glenn Barrington, right? Why does that sound? He played oh, yeah. Attention. Yeah. He was a singer for Attention. and um, yeah. He lives in the East Coast or is he an East Coaster? Yeah. He, he, yeah. he moved back. He lives in Sackville. Right. And uh, during the pandemic, he got back into skateboarding. And I, I would, we would talk and I'd be like, oh, man, I really just, I got I just got to do it. I just have to do it. And you should like, just do it. Yeah. And then yeah. he fell and broke his wrist. And I was like, ah. Maybe not do it so much. <laughs> it's like, I got, I got to yeah. work. I got to, you know, there's, there's, you know, go back to the kid mind, you know, as an adult, you're like, well, if I break my arms, like I can't play music. I can't work. I can't. Yeah. You can stop gonna... yourself from everything in the world with rationale and consequence <laughs> and logic, but logic doesn't really serve you. Yeah. It doesn't, it does you kind of a disservice sometimes like that. <laughs> yeah. So wow, Glenn, I'm sure you're going to listen to this. So your skateboarding inspiration to us old timers. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um, what else? Uh, I don't really know, man. There's, there's, I feel like 
there's so much to you that I, I, as I said, when I did the research, there are so many, there were so many interviews with you where they just touch on all kinds of stuff and you, you, you always go so deep into all your answers. And I find that really impressive that you, regardless of the publication, regardless of the size, you always take the time and put in the efforts to, to, to just be genuine and be yourself. Like, is that, I mean, we're, we're coming, we're coming back in circles again, but I feel like that's just part of the, the ethos of what hardcore meant to you and just being like, I don't know. I think I just have no filter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I like, I like just communicating with people and, you know, I mean, you guys are where we come from the same thing. And we've talked a lot in the last couple of years and there's a lot of real life, you know, shit that's been really heavy. So I know, I don't know. I know to talk about, I mean, all this is about real shit. You know, it's yeah. not like a fucking, it's not a pose. It's not a face. It's not like there's definitely bands and people out there that like go backwards from just wanting to be screamy, pissed off something. And then they find a reason to fill in the blank and I'm really coming at it the other way. Like I have too much that just doesn't fit in my fucking head ever. Mm-hmm. And all I can do is this. So I love whether no matter what it is or the size of it or who it gets out to just, yeah, I don't know. I start talking like that and I just, uh, I just go with it. <laughs> Too much feels, man. I got too much feels. Yeah, but like Chris says, there's this kind of line, you know, you could see it like with Ian Mackay, for example, you know, there's that ethos that's so strong. And, you know, you ask him whatever question, there's this line that's drawn that's kind of constant. You almost kind of know what he's going to say. Yeah. uh, In terms of, you know, what he talks about music or anything, uh, how he lives his life. uh, And it's rare, I think. People who, you know, think about how they want to live their life and actually do it. Yeah. It's, I mean, maybe a bit of a cop out because I just like don't, I don't stop doing the thing I was already doing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But you, I mean, you figure out a way to make it work. Um, I mean, you worked in that video store for 10 years? 14. <laughs> Holy shit. Long okay. time. Yeah. I miss it. I miss it a lot. I can, well, it's, it's unfortunately kind of a dead format in the age of streaming. For sure. Yeah. yeah. It was like a black box, you know, is yeah, black yeah. box still there? No. no it, is it still there? No, no, no. I mean, it may have, I don't think so. I know it's not on my Royal in its old location. So yeah, maybe it went somewhere else, but I don't, I don't Probably. know. <laughs> I'd be surprised if it was, yeah, still going. Yeah. But I mean, then on a total other topic, like, you for being a vegan for so long you created this food or this uh, not food like what you call it like the cooking grease and the parmageddon and stuff that one was weird yeah that turned into like a life thing that was not on purpose um i'm not a good business person at all as you can probably imagine (laughs) not practical don't like being in front of like selling you really people like you want you to sell yourself instead of the thing like no yeah. it's the thing take it or fucking leave it um no i make like vegan foods for some kind of a living i don't know well, that, that's what i was gonna say like you you've we've talked to people on this on this podcast who have succeeded in doing what they want to do and make a living and then we've talked to people who are constantly struggling to try yeah. and, and balance and I, I feel like you've, you know, this 
could be a massive assumption, but you've kind of found a very livable balance whereby what you do to pay your rent and live works well in in function of really no, no. Um, it, it kind of it kind of in relation to in relation to thank you in relation to being able to pursue your creative endeavors oh yeah I, I've never done any one thing so things like that job at the store um I, I managed I and concert things and production work I, I kind of just had to do juggle I don't know I've always just sort of like made up a patchwork of things and make up some kind of an excuse for a life um, jobs for shows, you know, that stuff with the food. Like it's never one thing. Maybe I'm just too scatterbrained for it, but uh, I don't know. I just never have a plan. Plans just kind of seem like they fuck you up. Now I'm going to ask you a Tebow question. Okay. You, <laughs> I think you, you always, you, you constantly refer to what we deem normal as life, and there's always a little shot in it whenever you say it. Um, is, is there just is there just a straight disdain for the status quo, or is it is there is there something else to it? Like, um, oh, I think if I seem like I'm venomous about that, I mean, like, yeah, the status quo, the default world of people, just on the kind of a treadmill. And I mean, really, as much as it sounds like a 16 year old punk rocker way to think about it how is it not really clear now that that's exactly what's happening? We're, we're trying to go back to life uh, just because we're tired of thinking about uh, COVID and world war fucking three and all those things when, when they're completely right in front of our face, like we're not fixing the problems. We're just like, we're just done caring. Yeah. And like that's yeah. The, the ultimate of everything we were ever mad about in our whole lives or as 16 year olds is like right in front of our face right now. Like the status quo is absolutely killing us to just like bullshit our way through reality as if it's like not as if we're controlling controlling it you know and we're not even taking care of what needs to be taken care of to just to make more fucking life or reality even happen um so we're it's very far into delusion you know like most of the world of people is just like a big fucking i don't know mirage and we're going with it rather than like going through the pains of second guessing it and just uh I don't know. It's like a disaster scenario to just like second guess life like that. But really we should be looking at it like stop, disassemble everything you fucking have to. And then you can put it back together in a way that works. We're yet to really do that collectively. So yeah, it stresses me out. Like I guess life, uh, that sounds bratty and teenage, doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it sounds bratty and teenage. It's it's. I understand it completely. I've 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 tried to arrange my life so I can play music and lose money my whole life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm also used to living really, really on very, very little. Um. So I don't realize it until it stresses out people around me, and I'm like, oh yeah, shit. That's really inconsiderate, or that's really stressful. I'm just used to selling half my records the night before tour and pretending I didn't because I totally had a cover, rent covered from tour, which I didn't. <laughs> Um, things like that. Like I realized it with my wife, you know, who's just like a, has her shit together way more than I do. Um, yeah. When it bounces the stress, you see it reflected off the people around you sometimes they are like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's, that is kind of not tenable. (laughs) That's hard to, it's stressful to live like that. But I I think I've got really accustomed to it over time. So I don't know. So you're not very materialistic. 
in terms of keeping I'm, things? I am really, this is funny, man. I, I'm really bad with like, I don't think I'm using things properly anymore. Like, I think I have some weird, uh, Jungian conquest to just like stuff from when I was a kid. Okay. To a ridiculous degree, like shows I liked that just don't like things that are so fucking obscure that I will track them down and track them down and reassemble them. I used to look like when I moved to Montreal, I went there with just a backpack and my skateboard and my shit was in storage uh, somewhere over time. I mean, I always had like records and books and I have a lot of records and books and things, but I've, I've gotten really bad in the last couple of years with stuff. And I think it's almost like a mental problem, like when about impermanence and dealing with impermanence by just trying to like weigh yourself down to the ground with this big, making a pile of shit so big and heavy that it's just inconvenient for anybody to dislodge it and move you along until you're ready to move along. Not because you want to live forever, but because like I'm not done processing things, mm. you know? So it's like this weird tomb of a. <laughs> cocoon of stuff so no i'm I'm bad with things i got too much of it all I, I feel like this all comes back to the i mean we haven't said this i haven't said this but like the addictive behavior you know it, what i mean it absolutely is yeah you're right yeah. it's totally that it's, which it's, tells me that that's still a thing in my head yeah and control yeah. as well to a certain degree yeah yeah it's a lot about control like i grew up you like yanked out of realities like every 12 months and moved like it's a long story but i moved a lot when i was a kid so i have like one actually it's right here i have one thing this bear okay this 1960s ass teddy bear it was like the only thing i have from many midnight moves as a kid um that's one object (laughs) from my childhood that's that's all of it and you kept Um, it yeah, somehow. It's and you have it close to you. Yeah, I do. I do. I think that it's just like, uh, it's something about impermanence. I just like to hold things close to me when I realize that mm. how fast everything feels like it's spinning. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Man, are you, ta- are you taking new clients? <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me what's my, what's my fucking deal, man? Can you just tell me? What's my fucking problem? That's not what I'm paid to do. You know what it makes me think of? Uh, You know, you speak of anxiety and control, and it's interesting, Chris, uh, about you saying, oh, that's kind of addiction. You know, it's about this kind of obsessiveness about something and control. And anxiety is about control, right? I'm losing control, and I want control back. Yeah. Just over myself, like the, not other people, but that's right. Because it's, it's in your body, you're, you feel as though you're going to lose control. You're right, and if you've never had it, or if you grew up kind of like not in, you know, but certain things that should have been in your control that were not, that's then right. it, it hits you way later in life in these weird little ways. You know? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole talk, like, it brings me back. There's a guy I know you don't like him, Chris. But uh, I think sometimes he says some very, very important things about grief. Dude, fucking Joe Rogan. I'm so glad you brought this up. (laughs) (laughs) Want to talk about COVID? You guys fuck with DMT? Yeah. Fuck that guy. Go go ahead. Fuck Joe Rogan. Fuck John Joseph. Motherfuck John Joseph. For sure. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. What's wrong with John Joseph? He got canceled. He got kicked off Twitter. Uh, Really? Fucking idiot. Think of everything that's wrong with Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan. That's what's wrong with John Joseph. Wow, you're putting yeah. them all together. Yeah. 
And he talked Dude. some really, really random weird shit on my friend that died. And I cannot understand for the life of me why the fuck he did that. But that made me want to. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was Man, bad. Dude, John Joseph was like, he's gone. Yeah. He, he got heavy on the fucking Kool-Aid. He drank a lot of the weird old guy Kool-Aid. Really? Yeah. Yeah. See, I didn't even know. No, that's okay. Keep tuned out. It's just bullshit. Mm. Let's, I'll, I'll say this. How much of a fuck up do you have to be to make Harley Flanagan look like the sane, rational one? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's that bad really wow. yeah i'm not in tuned yeah come on dude you got yeah. it's because you're, you're brainwashed by the fucking soros and fauci that's why <laughs> oh my god yeah sorry what, what were you what were you but saying? what I, I was there's this guy in ontario called his name's Steph, stephan jenkinson and uh in I an don't interview dislike him i just i know that's why he, I, that's he, why he, i prefaced it that you disliked no, I, him i said i don't dislike him oh i just he came up a friend of my father's recommended that my father look into him as a way of understanding death and dying and we looked through some of it and I found a lot of it to be kind of dribble and yeah. anything above and beyond the introductory stuff was fucking expensive. And well, I, feel, I, I like feel like he was, he was taking, sorry, I feel like he was taking advantage of people because he speaks really well. I mean, I don't know. This was just, there were a lot of things happening when I, when I discovered this person with my father, mm. that's, that's the only reason why I don't really like Dude, him. You fuck with do you ever read Elizabeth Kubler Ross? Yeah. Yeah. You know, she wrote a lot of stuff on death and dying. Yeah. That's yeah. That's it, stuff. You, you should check out Jenkinson because he, he, he's a wordy guy. He's very philosophical, but he's also was a social worker uh, working in palliative care. Okay. So he helped a lot of, uh, from kids to adults uh, to die. And he calls himself a grief practitioner. Anyways, it's long story that, to a quote that he said that has stuck with me for the last several weeks. And here it is in a culture that doesn't believe in endings. How do they solve heartbreak? Ooh. With less heart. So less brokenness. Totally, wow. Totally true. That's yeah. yeah. You just don't go out on a limb. Exactly. You're gonna get hurt. You don't allow yourself. Yeah. But that's really avoiding. Yeah. You're just avoiding pain by avoiding life. And That's right. Take a chance on it. Yeah, like the pain is, pain isn't bad, and death and and grief aren't bad. None of those things are bad. That's just, uh, I don't know. That's that's a it's a learning thing. You know, it's a teaching moment. Yeah, it may be the other side of love. Yeah, and it's like all of this shit is just hits us because we know that that's that's going to be me, and I can't do shit about it. Yeah, you know, and everything, no matter how like unresolved things are, they're they're going to go come and go that way, unresolved, and that's it. Yeah. yeah that's hard it's hard to be at peace with shit like that but then the, the world isn't naturally it's chaotic it's naturally chaotic you know so sometimes it's like we're trying to make peace and sanity out of something that really isn't isn't made that way yeah and even the idea of trying to make peace yeah why you know that's a construct. I think maybe maybe brokenness and heartbrokenness is just part of life yeah, and they're appropriate to, yeah. to things that happen to you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like the flip side of all the good things. And you have the whole you you have to be a whole a whole picture. You know? I don't I don't think we need to run away from the stuff that's bad or hard or harsh. That's probably explains a lot of like my life <laughs> yeah. and all the shit we've been talking about. 
Yeah. But no, I mean, like, it's not even negativity. Like you're saying about being Chris, about seeming like you're seething or pissed or people expect this of you. It's like, that's that anger is like the other side of being idealistic and hopeful, you know? Mm, like, I get that 100%. I'm, I'm angry because I want people to do better because they fucking can and I can and you can, you know? And like, yeah. we're capable of it and we're able to do it and we see what trips us up and we still fucking do it. So fucking stop doing it. <laughs> that's it, it seems that's so self-evident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anger is a powerful emotion. For sure. Yeah. It's an empowering emotion. There's a lot of strength to it. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's misguided a lot. That's right. That's yeah. That's the problem. You know, we and especially as males, we're taught that sadness is weakness. Oh man, yeah. So if you're sad. Be mad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For sure. Mm. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Guys. I'm gonna I think I need to go start drinking right now and smoke a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be the worst. <laughs> don't don't we will stop anybody. the podcast. Oh shit. This is public. Fuck. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. No, I think I think you're okay. You see, one of the things about you and myself, and I feel extremely fortunate for this, is we have a good support network and we have good friends. Yeah, for sure. I feel like a lot of people don't have that. Um, you know, everyone has friends. Yeah, but not enough people have bury the body type of friends. For sure. And I think that that's something that all three of us. Um, because of how we grew up and the connections we made with music and all this stuff and having done it at such a young age, I think we are beyond fortunate to have these relationships that, you know, we've all been on tour. We've all been on the fucking shit tours where nobody's eating. Everybody's miserable. It's a hundred degrees. There's no one at the shows. Yep. And yet somehow at the end of it, you're like, yeah, I still love you. I still love I'm going to do it again next month. <laughs> <Exactly>. Fuck. <laughs> Why? No, you're right. This this right here is what makes this feel like a uh, community, you know? Mm-hmm. You, that you're able to just talk about fucking life. Uh, you know, thinking about COVID, um, when we weren't really sure that it was going to end at all, I mean, still got its ups and downs. We're not sure where it's going to go now. Um but it really, I had to think on it a lot. And um, while we were also worried about just like getting back to shows, getting back to tour, venue going to be open, like there's so much more. The whole world around that venue has to function. It's not just that lock on that door being not locked. Like it's, it's a world has to work for any of the parts to work inside of it, you know? But it, uh, it made me think that like all that we were building all that time, just like, you know, I, fuck a lot of people died in the last couple of years. A lot of friends, a lot of people really close. Um, and when all you could do is just exchange like, holy shits with your fucking friends and just like, you don't have an answer, but just expressing like how fucking shitty you felt and how lost you felt. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that was all that that ever did need to be there for us just to build that up to be there. It's not just uh, the next show, the next song. It's like, now we have yeah. this and this is real life and it's about real life. And now, you know, <laughs> when we're just lost at the, at the mercy of fucking too much real life, uh, that we can even do things like this is probably the part that matters more than any of the rest of it. 
Yeah, I've, I I actually fully agree with you. And I find this episode in particular, this is, I mean, all these episodes are mostly just a conversation, you know, but this is a conversation we would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there, there's nothing. Conversations that we have yeah, yeah. fairly often. Have you played any shows, Chris, uh, post-COVID? No. The, the last one was, yeah, um, Philly. No, Baltimore, the auto bar. Um, yeah, as uh, as it was fully underway. Like that March was it. 2020. March of 2020. Yeah, like mid-March was coming home. Four flights on that weekend were, was a stressful, stressful couple of flights. Um, no, we got something next month at the end of May in Pittsburgh. That's going to be the first thing for that's the longest I've ever not played any show in since I was, you know, 18 years old. Yeah, that's a trip. It was, you know, I've taken breaks from touring and playing shows just because sometimes your brain just needs to stop. Yeah. But, you know, I, I feel like similar to you guys, you know, things were happening, things were moving. And then all of a sudden it's taken away from you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not complaining because every band in the world was in the same situation. Of course. It's, yeah. It's not like, well, you're the smaller band, so you're getting fucked. It's like, no, you're getting fucked. Iron Maiden's getting fucked. Justin yeah. Bieber's getting fucked. Like everyone's sure. and getting fucked is the wrong way of saying it. You know, on a selfish level, you're getting fucked, but it's just like for the betterment of the world, no more large gatherings. <laughs> yeah. If there's no society for a minute, there's no shows. Yeah. yeah exactly. For anybody. Yeah. It's true. And you know what else, man? When 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 your band and your punk life is about things exactly like this, as sex definitely is, you know, ecological disasters, right wing mm-hmm. bullshit. What does it fucking matter to go talk about that in hypotheticals when it's now happened in reality? Yeah, you know, like of course I want to play shows, but I mean, there's this tough guy. I mean, that just wants to be this diehard to the end of time. But like that's that's not really, I don't know. Yeah. Like this is this is the reality of what those songs are about. So just dealing with the reality with my people and my community, that's you know, <laughs> if that's what it's gotta be right now, then fine. But I'm I, I would take more shows as soon as I can and when they're real. Now, do you find sometimes you're preaching to the converted with your what you say between songs or you know, your lyrics themselves? Do you find, you know, because you have such a hard stance, do you feel like the people who come to your shows are like-minded? It's a Uh general statement. No, that's fair. That's fair. Like, largely that is the case. But that's way less interesting to me than just like a guy at a bar that has nothing to do with hardcore that's just at a show. You know, let's say you're playing at a bar and there's a guy at the back and he's like been in and out of recovery and you say some shit and it speaks to them and they come up and tell you about it. You know, like that is as real life as it gets. I love mm. shit like that when it happens. Yeah, totally. And so I think when you're trying to talk about songs, like I don't try to direct it, you know, in the context of straight edge DIY hardcore, because what does that mean to that guy? Like, yeah, shit's just, this shit's for, for people, <laughs> you know? And it happens that my world of people can understand like the coded languages within it, but really at its heart, it should be for anybody. So I like communicating and I like connecting with people probably all the more so when they're not the converted. And I like differing with people. Like not, I guess I have an argumentative side, but even within hardcore, um, things are so polarized now. It's kind of crazy. It's like a microcosm of the bigger picture, but 
mm-hmm. we learn the most when we interact with different ideas and you know different sides of the fence and just keep moving and rather than just blow up and everybody punches everybody out and walks away in different directions that's kind of stupid like i like just talking about different ideas i like it the most yeah no i totally agree with you it's just it's especially in hardcore and you know we, we there's so many subgenres in hardcore right now but it's like you know i can't imagine a show where sect plays with madball because politically and ideologically the 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 everything is so polar opposite yeah you know, we do you know end up I mean? on some shows with like really like that extreme like I don't even know if Madball is that extreme, but we end up on shows sometimes like that where people think by virtue of the ex members of, you know, and they'll they'll come out. Um, yeah, and they just like get bummed out by <laughs> having to hear me talk about like abortion access or something like, well, that's what the fuck this is gonna be about. So take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I think I think this has been absolutely great. I uh I'm really happy with this. Yeah, me too, man. I, I really I think I needed that get a lot of shit off my chest so thank you thank you this was uh this is to me this i guess all interview but this is the feeling i have today in terms this is the point of the podcast and uh thank you for being so open uh it makes it makes it really really interesting and valuable and i think other people can feel inspired and when you're lost and you're hurting and you have no hope to connect with someone and be inspired and say, well, if he can do it, maybe I can too. And I think uh, for me, that's what punk rock was about was like, Oh, okay. Maybe I can do it too. You know, maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'll be okay. You know, yeah. because of the community Uh, will support me. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. Thanks. This was really, this was really nice. It was really nice. It was neat to hear that. Uh, to bounce this off of someone that's a psychologist too. <laughs> well, I think that's <laughs> used so as a about- kind of like a, a sticker for the show, but uh, yeah. uh, okay. I, I just have one last question uh, based on something you said, Tebow. Now, Chris, I know you're not a nihilist by any means, but you're not big on tomorrow. No, I just can't speak for tomorrow ever. So. Exactly. So Tebow, I- Tebow said, you know, I'm okay. Then he was like, I'll be okay. When, when you're, in life, are you on a, are you like today I'm okay. And then the next day you're like, today I'm not okay. Or today. Are you I'm, an optimist I'm, or a pessimist? Oh, fuck. Oh, I don't know. Probably hard question. <laughs> it's a really hard question. I think in like my heart is an optimist and my head is a pessimist. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So it's, I mean, honestly, it's like pessimism is it's, you know, we're used to like trying to do you know discourage it but it really is pretty appropriate sometimes <laughs> you know what do you what do you do when things are finite when resources are finite and we know that x amount of something is x amount of fucked like it's not it's not going another way so it's really just like okay how are we going to roll with this it's realism so it, it has both good and bad well that's that's exactly what i was going to say like that's the difference to me between realism and pessimism sometimes people are like you're such a pessimist it's like no i'm a realist yeah you yeah know, this is really happening well, you have to accept the worst of things in the in that like the chain is only as strong as its weakest link. That's the shit that's gonna fuck you up. You have to address that the most. And it's not it doesn't mean that you don't appreciate the good things and the beauty and things and people. It's like you do it all at the same time. So yeah. as a final question, what keeps you going? Uh mainly Adderall. Um <laughs> uh, spike really? cocaine. No. Spike. Um 
no, Spike, a dog, my dog. Mm. Um, you know what? I'm not, I'm not sure. Probably dis, dissatisfaction and feeling like incomplete. Mm. Like I got a weird, I got a weird relationship with the idea of like success of any kind, but um, I don't know. I, I forever feel like there's something I was trying to say for my own sake, not really for anybody else that I just never did it right yet. Mm. And it's felt like that as long as I can remember. And it still does. So I feel like I'm still trying to make like, the record or the song or like the piece of writing that I was always trying to, and I never got it right. So whatever you call that (laughs) keeps me going. (laughs) I kind of hope I never get there. I don't know. Well, uh, sorry. I know we're trying to end this, but uh, sort of as I know you're, you're, you've written books. One's a, a photo, more of a photo essay book. And the other one was a series of short stories. Like, What's you know you you've you've played in so many bands and you've put out so many records and you've put out books you what do you know what you're trying to say or is it just mm. is it just a reflection of what's happening now probably that more than anything yeah I don't think I have a really good grip on it. I don't feel like I have any kind of authority enough to like to know what I'm trying to say I never. I don't think I have the confidence for that. <laughs> so I think all I can do is just kind of like try to kick out what's going around my head. Um, I, I should have said this earlier, but there's a book I'm in the middle of publishing uh, with my friend Matt that I do. Um, speaking of having like many, many lives happening at once, where we do like a book. It's kind of a bookstore. The midnight, um, uh, midnight yeah, mass. Midnight Mass. Yeah, it was kind of a good excuse over lockdown for us to just go like, go places and go through piles of books that we like. Um, but we also were publishing some stuff and we're doing uh, a book of photos by Don Pyle, who's like an old Toronto punk head, yep. um, an amazing man. Uh, yeah. He's got just a lot of like uh, um, photography from like around punk and, and queer kind of circles through the, like from the seventies through now. Um, so we're doing his book and we're doing one of mine. And it's a book of poetry uh, called a battered tomorrow that is uh like three parts um and covid happened in the middle of it so a lot of it's just like kind of goes up to all the chaos of the present um so yeah that's the thing i forgot to i forgot to say that earlier but i don't ever know what the fuck i'm I, i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> well it kind of kind of brings me brings me back to the point where you're like i feel like i haven't said what i need to say but yeah. the thing is if you're saying what's happening in the present that'll never end you'll yeah, that's always right. have something to that's say that's right yeah you're never done yeah like that's that's it like completion is for i, mean, I guess when you're dead really yeah. right or when something happens and you're done involuntarily can't do anything anymore and all you can do is look back but that sounds like a kind of a sad place to be and people that kind of rest on the shit that they did at a certain time frame that's i wouldn't i wouldn't want that because <laughs> I'm still I haven't figured it out and you have you know, to whatever this was supposed to be it never got there yet yeah I was gonna say you got that you particularly you have to have some very profound last words uh, <laughs> oh no a shriek <laughs> yeah um, a Wilhelm scream a Wilhelm scream yeah I'm not sure man um something something old town road I don't know I don't know no I, I don't I, I I'm totally over my brain is swimming with uh, thoughts and feelings. <laughs> <laughs>